Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast, Clear as Mud, where we talk to game developers and artists from all walks of life about their personal and professional journeys. I'm your host, Maze. As always, our show is presented by Mudstack, the only asset management and collaboration platform custom built for game studios and digital artists. Mudstack is now free for artists, so for more information, head on over to mudstack.com. Today's guest is James Adkins, senior VFX artist for Sony PlayStation at Santa Monica Studio. James is a brilliant and talented artist who has worked on some amazing games, and most recently the critically acclaimed God of War Ragnarok. We take a deep dive into his creative process, exploring how he finds inspiration across different media, and deconstructing what it's like to work on one of the most beloved franchises in gaming history. We're so happy to have had the chance to talk with James on Clear as Mud, and are excited to share this story with you. So without any further ado, here's James. One of the things that I saw, James, that really stuck out to me was you talked a little bit about your um, experience as a kid with Toonami and how that's what drew you into the world of VFX in some way. Can you just expand on that a little bit? Because I found it intriguing. Yeah. And, uh, growing up, I would come home and I'd watch Toonami when I'd get back from school and like I'd watch, oh man, was it Robotech? It was like Dragon Ball Z. It was like all of the like the shows that the anime and Sailor Moon and all the stuff that they would have on there. And I would just be like, yeah, that stuff looks so cool. I don't know if it's like what got me into wanting to create those sorts of things, but it definitely plays a part in it now, especially today, like me going back and looking for any kind of reference materials. I file through the library of what have I seen before that I can use to help me get where I need to be visually. Are there any inspirations that you've taken, like almost lifted directly? Like you mentioned like Sailor Moon. I find that so intriguing. I was a huge fan of Sailor Moon personally. I love um, Sailor Moon. I don't know if there's anything that I've directly lifted, but the Marvel movies, like the MCU, have a ton of really incredible visual effects. Since the games that we tend to make at Santa Monica are photoreal, and not even just at Santa Monica, but the industry as a whole, they tend to be gravitating towards games that can that can reach photo realism to some extent. Those Marvel movies have an incredible amount of VFX to pull from. And coming from pre-rendered VFX, it's easy for me to say, okay, I can maybe see how they did this in the movie. Can I possibly do something similar like that on the video game standpoint? There's just there's been so many incredible leaps and bounds in the VFX industry over our lifetime. And so another question that I had was, how do you stay up to date with that? It's such a rapidly growing and dynamic field. So is there any research that you do outside of Toonami influences that helps you keep relevant and drives your advancement in the field? Yeah, so I particularly enjoy watching movies and continuing now even still watching anime and sometimes re-watching anime <laughs> sometimes tv shows and video games I, I still try to ingest as much of it as i can because it's where a lot of the sort of it's where a lot of the inspiration can come from is from other mediums and I would find it hard to believe that an artist would be in this field and not even just in video games, but in any sort of creative role and not 
be ingesting everything that they can get their hands on. Even if they travel and they go to museums and they go to art shows or they're at a band or at a concert and they're watching a band play, they're watching the lights and how they create the atmosphere that the band is wanting. And you find it in almost everything. I try to keep up to date with video games. I think these last like few weeks I've been playing Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom, and then Diablo came out on Tuesday. So I've been trying to jump into that, but I still haven't beat Jedi Survivor. I'm just like, oh my gosh, my backlog is growing. Of It's getting filled with games that I've just half completed. <laughs> but I think staying up to date on the games that are releasing, it's very important. If you're a director, you want to see movies that you know can inspire you towards what you want to do in your next project. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything that you've like grabbed onto recently? You can get as technical as you want with this answer or keep it as vague as possible, but is there anything specifically that you've gravitated towards lately that you're like, oh, wow, this is a really cool tool that I'm using, or this is a really cool effect that I'm diving into right now. Maybe you haven't even employed it yet, but that's getting you excited to work with. So as far as tools go, all of our stuff at Santa Monica is proprietary. So there are some things that I'm like, oh, this would be a cool thing to try to implement, or this would be a cool thing to see if we can't create our own version of, but not so much in that realm. But as far as visuals go, I do have one that like I recently, I was playing games as I normally do. I was watching videos of people play games too. And I came across something from the Naruto uh, Shippuden Ultimate Ninja 4. And I was specifically looking at the fire that comes off of these beings that are just like, it looks like it's part of them. And I was looking at that. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. I was going to see if I could try to get that in the game eventually. But we have to have the time to work on that sort of thing. But that's one that I remember seeing that I was like, I should probably file that away. <laughs> see if I can't use that in some manner of something soon. I feel like I have seen what, like I can visualize it in my head a little bit right now. Exactly, you're talking. About. Those are the they're the ones that the, uh, the Uchiha people use whenever they have their. I'm about to get really nerdy. This is the one that the Uchiha people <laughs> like Sasuke, Madara, and Itachi, and all of the other Uchiha people. They when they achieve Mangekyo Sharingan, part of their Kikagenka, their bloodline sort of trait. It allows them to, I guess, not summon, but like create this skeletal being. <laughs> it's this sort of ethereal skeletal being that comes up out of the ground and protects them. And then certain forms of it, it's a huge thing. And it's really cool is what it is. That's what it is. I would see that in the game, the Ultimate Ninja 4 game. And I'd be like, okay, I need to see if I can't try something like that at some point. One of the things that really interests me, especially about VFX, what is the process? If you have these ideas, do you have sketchbooks? Do you have, do you do thumbnails when you have an idea and you need to file it in store? Is it all just in your head or do you have a cool doc file? Yeah. Just, um, yeah, I'm really interested in the conceptual phase for when you're trying to like think about VFX and like how you're going to implement it. So it's totally that like. I, I do have a sketchbook of ideas of things. It's usually whenever I have the idea because it's next to my next to my bed because sometimes it'll be in the middle of the night and I'll have this thing and I'm trying to draw it and I wake up in the morning and I look at it and I'm like, what the heck is this? And then like I try to build off of it. But yeah, it's totally that. I'll usually will draw it in a little sketchbook or sometimes I'll try to hold on to it. If I'm out somewhere watching a movie, like we were talking about a little while ago from Spider-Verse. If I'm out and I see something in Spider-Verse, when I went to go watch that movie, I saw a few things and I was just like, 
I need to make sure that when I get home or when I get in my car, I can write in a note or something so that I can remember to make a version of what I had just seen to, to try to make a version of what I had just seen. Because sometimes it, all, it doesn't always work out. But yeah, I definitely keep track. I try to keep track because if I don't, I know I'll forget about it. Do you have any unique challenges when you're trying to adapt your skills to your creative process? Is there something where if you get frustrated, like you're like, oh, I have this idea and I'm really trying to implement it and stuff. Is there a breakdown point that happens there? Yeah, there, there definitely is. I'm fortunate enough to work with some incredible people at Santa Monica. Our VFX team is incredibly talented and smart. So if I ever have that sort of block, like what you're talking about, I first thing I do is I ask them because they're incredibly talented and have created some amazing and beautiful VFX for our game. As far as what the process ends up being for that is, okay, so here's where I want to get to. Is there anything that we've already made that is similar? And then from there, we try to fill in the missing pieces in order to get it to where it needs to go. So it's, it's very much collaborative whenever there's a block, so to speak. I love to hear that because one of the things that I find really intriguing about the game industry is there's so many diverse perspectives in it. There's, you have these people who are really hyper-technical or they have a computer science background and stuff. And then you have these artists who are working in kind of this other weird liminal space, but then there's this meshing point where they all come together. And so could you go a little bit more into that process? Do you literally just knock on each other's doors and be like, hey, I have this, I'm having this issue. What does that communication process look like? Yeah, pretty much it is that exactly, except for the knocking on the doors part, because I'm remote. So I haven't been able to knock on anyone's door for a while. But yeah, it's pretty much that. I'll ping one of the artists or I'll ping our Slack channel and just be like, hey, so I'm doing this, but it's not working. <laughs> so what do I, does anyone have any ideas in order to get me here to in towards like towards where I want to be? That's literally the process. <laughs> I love that. So going back, was there a point where you were like considering different potential career paths and what kind of drove you to find VFX and be like, Hey, this is what I can do. This is, I feel confident that I can do this and I want to stick with that. So I actually wanted to be an animator for Pixar, Disney, all that kind of stuff. I was in college to be an animator. I went to the University of Texas at Dallas. And I was trying to, and I was building my reel and all that sort of stuff. And in my last semester there, they offered a VFX class, like a pre-render like, class that taught that you learned VFX with Houdini, which is a side effects of software developed by side effects. And it's the counterpart to other softwares like Maya or Blender or anything like that. But the, the cool thing with Houdini is that it's procedural and meaning that if you have a chain of things, if you take one of those links out, it just continues to work because of, it doesn't break down because you just removed one chain or you don't have to un hit undo a bunch and then rebuild everything from scratch. It's a pretty uh, intricate and very sophisticated tool. And I highly recommend it to everybody. But what I was trying to do was be an animator. And then they offered this class that taught the effects from Houdini. So that's what made me fall in love with VFX was because while in that class, I was able to see, I was like, oh, 
VFX uses a lot of the same things that animation does. The 12 principles, we have to understand lighting and rigging and character modeling to a certain degree. And it encompassed a lot of what I loved about being an animator, the creative aspect of it. And it added the technicalities in there that I thought were really cool. And about halfway through the course, I was like, I'm making it. When I come out of this class, my goal is to have a demo reel. So it's actually really funny because my final project to exit the course, you had to submit one thing, like one final render. And I submitted two, which, which was like showing exactly how much I really enjoyed the class. It was like a wall of smoke that was based on the Mad Max Fury Road storm that happens in the, that dust storm. And then the other one was just a waterfall, but... If you know anything about rendering water, it's not easy and it's not, <laughs> it's very time intensive because you have to get things just right and all that. But once I was done with that and I, I, I was out of that class, I was like, yeah, this is VFX is definitely what I want to do, which is great because being an animator it, or getting a job as an animator is probably one of the harder things to do in the industry. And that's in film and television, video games, anything, because it's called 3D animation. It's literally in the job title of the studios. So it's pretty difficult. Whereas VFX, there's, they're like, come on in. We need tons of VFX artists. Have at it, learn it and put it in here and then we'll make it, we'll make it work. I, I would like to say that the door to VFX to being a VFX artist was an easier door to open, but I always was just like, maybe one day I can transition back to animation, but it's been VFX ever since. It's just been incredibly fun and very challenging, but I feel that it's worth the challenge and you, it's been awesome so far. To me, VFX just feels like such an empowering art form. You're literally creating these momentous occasions. Like we mentioned Marvel a little bit earlier. Those movies would not be what they are without the killer VFX people that are working on them. My buddy works at Disney now. And I always, whenever we'd hang out, because we went to college together. And whenever we'd hang out and tell people what we do, he'd be like, oh, I'm an animator. And I'd be like, oh, I'm a VFX artist. And of course they know what he does, but they're like, what do you do? I'm like, okay, so you know how he's an animator? I make what he does look cooler. So that's kind of the gist of it. Because when Superman flies, he doesn't just, he, it's what the end is, it's some dude posing Superman with one fist out in the air and the other one clutched like, a, like he's holding a football. And then there's nothing, and that's it. That's all he does. But with VFX artists come in there, we add the streak lines and we add the smoke that's trailing behind him or the whatever. And we, if he busts through a cloud, we have to make sure that he busts through the cloud and it looks cool. It's always been my go-to introduction or people's introduction to VFX. I think that's a really good introduction. To me, when I think about it, it's momentum, it's movement, it's being dynamic explosive that's when i don't know vfx artists to me they just seem like they're having so much fun it's a lot of what you just said but honestly in my opinion what a lot of vfx end up being that yes of course they're bombastic and they're spectacle and they're loud but the quintessential sort of thing that i look for whenever i look at people's reels and i see somebody play a game or whatever my thing is that vfx should be invisible in the project you should not tell that a vfx was ever imparted into this thing because it should feel like one cohesive thing. Yes, it is bombastic, but it's also invisible. There's so many potentials in 
The whole premise, I guess, of watching anything that's animated or something that has a lot of VFX is like a suspension of disbelief, right? You have to suspend your disbelief. And if it's obvious that those things are being rendered right in the moment of experiencing it, that takes you out of it right away. I can imagine, I feel like exactly what you just said. You want to have the lightest touch possible, even in the most dynamic moment. Were there any mentors that really stood out to you when you were, you said you primarily went to school for animation. So then in your last course, you're like, VFX is it, man, it's where it's at. Was there anybody like particularly that you want to give a shout out to that was just super helpful when you were developing your career? Oh yeah, absolutely. So one of the cool things about working at my first job, my first official VFX artist job, I was a job, I was a artist at the small VFX house in Austin, Texas called the Mighty Coconut. And one of the artists, one of the VFX artists that was there, uh, his name was Sean Cunningham. And he had worked at Digital Domain, Rhythm and Hughes. He'd had a stint out in LA of doing movies and stuff like that. I think he worked on, I don't know if this is his oldest thing, but he worked on True Lies the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie from a long time ago. <laughs> and he worked on that. He worked on the original, I think it was the original Spider-Man or the Spider-Man 2. I can't remember which, but he worked on one of those, the, uh, the Sam Raimi directed Spider-Man movies. He worked on one of those and he taught me an invaluable amount of information <laughs> about Houdini, about visual effects, about the industry in general. And I still talk to it every so often. I'll hit him up and I'll just be like, hey man, how's it going? What are you working on? Sort of stuff like that. We'll chat and swap war stories. It's just like, he's one of those people who you meet and you're never going to get rid of that contact. No matter how good of a VFX artist I become, no matter or how good I think I become, I will always, if I have a block on anything, I can go to this guy and he'll be like, do this. But yeah, he's been great. Austin Heiser is another great one. He was a composite VFX artist. So he'd, not too much on the simulation side of things in the pre-rendered VFX world. He does, a, it's like if Photoshop was the bunch of moving, like with just the raw source f sequences. And he just takes them and he, and he layers them. And so when we created simulations for the project that we did at Mighty Coconut, like I've given like a layer of smoke and an alpha pass and like a distortion and a noise pass or whatever. And I would give him these three things with different, with different lights on them. And he would blend them all together for the shot that we were working on. Learning things from him just about the industry in general as well. And what studios, what's, what studio life is like in, in LA. Cause he worked at Luma. He's worked at a lot of places as well too. Those two definitely have been really great, great mentors to have for sure. And they're... There are a ton more, man. Like any of my leads that I've ever worked with, Chris Chapman most recently at NetherRealm, Armando Sepoveda from when I was at BioWare. Yeah, Elliot as well too from when I was at BioWare. There's a slew of people. And as an artist, you have to be as a new artist too. Because I was still fresh at that point. I was like still trying to just understand what world I had gotten myself into. You have to be willing to accept critique and advice from everybody, your leads, your peers, especially your directors, your producers, you have to be willing to take in all of that advice and use it to the best of your ability. So that's when it comes down to like having a mentor. Yes, I absolutely did. And I had so many and they are all like 
they are, I was so undeserving of their fantastic information and just everything that they had. So incredible. Oh man, don't say you're undeserving. I think clearly <laughs> your work shows for itself that you were very deserving of their attention and their mentorship. Thank you. I appreciate that. Sometimes it's hard to get out of the get out of and accept the praise, but I'm working on that. We've had a lot of people talk to us about specifically junior artists about feelings of imposter syndrome. Can you speak to that at all? You've worked on so many iconic, huge projects and stuff. With that comes a pretty realistic dose of who am I? What am I doing? Am I good enough? Oh no, absolutely. So I've had the very rare opportunity to work on projects and games and franchises that I've grew up playing and loved. My first real-time VFX in the video game industry was working on Star Wars The Old Republic. SWOTOR is its acronymal name, but that was at Bioware. And I remember playing that game like four years before I had ever worked at Bioware. So whenever I saw that they had a opening on the team and I'd be working on that game, I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah, I'm going to try to work in this game. This is actually pretty bad, but I had, I had already accepted the job offer at another studio. And like, this was when I was like transitioning between doing pre-render work and I was trying to get into games and I already accepted another position at another studio. And I got an email from Bioware saying, Hey, we wanted to talk to you about coming onto the staff. And I was like, Oh, I've already... I've already accepted the job offer in the studio, blah, 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 blah. And they emailed me back and they said, we, okay, we hear you, but what would it take to get you? And then I was kind of just have to make a choice here. I went with Bioware with that particular one. And that was really incredible. And I learned so much from the people there and being on that project of a game. I'd spent a lot of hours playing and getting to see how it was made was really cool. And getting to meet the people who had made it as well, it was really awe-inspiring. That is what I would advise if you can do it, is work on a project that you know you're going to love. Like when I went to work at NetherRealm, I played Mortal Kombat, like MK9. Yeah, it was MK9 all the way through college. Like me and my buddies would like... We would stay up, we would talk all this trash, and then we'd go back and surf and go back to work in the labs and stuff. And and yeah, it was really cool to be able to join that team and work on MK11 after having spent so much time with Mortal Kombat 9. And it was, again, a rare thing that not a lot of people get to do. I'm personally blown away by your career. I'm super inspired, worked on so many cool things. We got to talk about God of War. I have a few questions that I think we can talk about. The first one I wanted to start with is just, are there any other departments that you're really just closely working together with when you're trying to make something happen in VFX? This could be anyone. What are the departments that you collaborate with the most? So we collaborate with pretty much every department. Audio, UI, accessibility, tech art, lighting, design, breakables, animation. We've got a hand and we all work together very closely because VFX is in so much of the game. Global systems and cinematics, boss fights, enemies, things like that. Because so much of what the game is needs that extra coat of paint to be as great a game as it is. I think if we work with anybody more closely, I think it's probably design. It's because especially for boss fights and enemies, we're hand in hand, we're right in there with them. So 
that's a big one and animation for cinematics as well like in lighting i think we touch on with a whole lot of stuff and breakables and a rendering department we touch everything can you talk a little bit about what is that process like is it a lot of back and forth we mentioned earlier a lot of back and forth on slack channels and things like that or do you guys have a really good workflow can you talk a little bit about the process of working between departments yeah especially for vfx coming in at the end of a pipeline and this applies towards most other studios as well what'll happen is when vfx comes in or is ready to, or when vfx comes in a lot of the other stuff is sort of done animation is pretty locked in the lighting in the area is pretty locked in environment areas are locked in as well too so when we come in and we have things to go or have things to put in there we'll have a kickoff meeting that talks about the area or talks about the boss fight or the cinematic and we'll go over what the vfx requests are and we'll talk about anything that can potentially be a problem or something that we'll need to work with or something that oh this isn't a vfx thing this actually belongs to another department but things like that of that nature will surface in those meetings and then from there We'll go in and we'll start to do our first pass and we'll usually sync with, for shots that are a little bit more, a little heavier, we'll usually sync with the cinematic designer or the lighter or whatever that shot's main purpose is. Like we'll usually communicate with that person more so than we would refer to something else with that shot. But the animated animation director has a lot to say in those meetings. The art director has a lot to say in those meetings as well. And it really comes down to, here's what we want. How can we get there? And if, when that happens, I can sneak in some little fun things that I thought it would be cool as well. Usually I try to add them in an early iteration. That way, if no one likes them or if not, no one likes them, or if they don't work for the shot, they'll usually say, oh, what's this? And they're like, oh, I put it in there because I thought it would be cool. And then people will be like, oh yeah, that totally works. Or ah, that's not the direction that we're wanting. So you get it out of the way early so that you can focus on what the shot is supposed to be. So I guess the last question I have for you is just, what was one of the most challenging VFX parts of the game that you worked on? And is there anything that you feel like you just really absolutely like home run? So there's actually a few things that were pretty challenging. One of the things that was really challenging for me actually was the, uh, the combat indicator rings. So if you played the game, you know that there's certain, when enemies attack with a certain ability, you can, a yellow ring will pop up, a default yellow ring will pop up as they wait to tell you that you, this attack can be parried or a red one will pop up that says you can't parry this, you can't block this. With this, or in God of War Ragnarok, we'll have the double blue ring that pops up that letting you know to use a certain, use the shield bash ability on it. Those are VFX. And that was probably one of the hardest things to just nail down and get right. Because the way that lighting had worked in our game, those rings from the previous game, from the 2018 God of War, had to change because the lighting was redone and it was all new and crisp and great. But the rings were no longer working. So we had to go back to the drawing board on those. And there were so many different things that people wanted to do with these rings that we were just like, had to keep them as simple as possible and as cheap as possible too, because they're going to be literally everywhere. So that was a really hard one to get and nail right. 
but we got it, I feel, and I actually really like them. We were also able to incorporate accessibility into those too. So that way colorblind people can pick the colors that they would want to have those rings represented so that they can understand the game to the best of their ability. And that worked, that ended up working out really great. The Odin boss fight was a particularly hard thing to work on just because there was so much going on in that fight. There's so many different elements. There's environmental hazards that you have to jump off of a platform in order to get away from. Like Odin has this Galendo bubble at some point that he takes off and flies into the sky with that we had a problem with for a while because it wasn't rendering correctly. And then we had to change it up how it worked. And then it worked, but then we had to have more stuff with, oh, he's flying in the air, but he has this base that keeps following him. So it was a whole lot. <laughs> and getting that right was something pretty hard to do because all of those effects are expensive. All of his effects are expensive. And we had to get it in a way to where that it worked on a base PS4. And that was probably one of the harder things that I did in the game. As far as anything that I think that we just nailed, from a collaborative standpoint, I think that Skull and Hottie sky tear shot that shot will forever like ring in my heart as something that was just the sprinkle on top, just cherry chef's kiss. Just it's so cool to see. And like, I'll still go back and watch reaction trailers of that moment in particular, because it's just, it's such an awe inspiring moment. Cause that was such a huge thing that where so many people were working on like lighting tech art worked on that thing, the animation for the wolves, Atreus and, it was and it was so incredible and it was it's a beautiful moment because it's a collaborative thing and it was really just we nailed that shot and i think it looked it, it, like when we saw it in the game for the first time I, I think i cried because it was so cool and i think one that hit home with me personally and this is going to be one of the smaller effects that was really cool so in the game this is a spoiler for people who haven't played it kratos gets a new weapon called the drop near spear and I got to do the effects for that spear and that weapon. It was really fun. But the one that I wanted to make sure I understood, the one I wanted to make sure that I just nailed with that was how it gets summoned. Because he just like punches down with his hand and the spear pops out of it, out of the ring, right? So whenever I first saw that and the effect that it was, that that I wanted to do with it was one that kind of was a carryover from an artist who had already worked on it. I wanted to make it feel like it was the Assassin's Blade from the original Assassin's Creed game. Because you remember that thing, you would just hit up and it would just flick that blade out and retract it back in. And it, I would do that while walking up and down in the game, like walking up and down the streets for the entire time I played. So after I got that spear and I knew I was going to be working on it, I was like, I think I need to try to get it to feel like that. So I worked with the animator and working with the designer for that as well, too, just to make sure that we understood that was the feeling that we wanted to have. I think that the way that it came out, I love that thing so much. That's one of the coolest effects because it's so small and it's so minimal. I'll just sit here and test and just be like, flick. And it's so cool. It's yeah, it's, it's fun. That was that's one that I'm actually pretty proud of as well, too. I'm so excited to hear that you worked on that. Honestly, like the drop near spear. I wish that I had it from the beginning of the game because you get it a little bit later. And when I finally got it, I was like, I'm just using this. There's so much versatility and it's so, I can't remember if you've had a spear in a God of War game before and 
I feel like you've had to have had one at some, because it's such an iconic Greek weapon. Um, I want to say that he had it in one of the PSP games. I want to say Ghost of Sparta. It's either, it's, it was Ghost of Sparta or Chains of Olympus, but I want to say it was Ghost of Sparta. I could be wrong, but he gets something like it there. But I feel for Ragnarok, we did that thing way more justice. Not to say that the original one was bad, but we overhauled the mess out of that thing. And it's the drop near spear and God of War Ragnarok. It was a great addition to it. And I think it was such a cool weapon to have for Kratos to have. It had a lot of synergy too with, they were introducing a lot of these different long range mechanics and stuff, which you'd always had like a mid range to long range ish with, with the chains and everything. But then they throw in Atreus with the bow and it just made so much sense for that game for Kratos to just be able to throw that at, I don't know. It was very satisfying and it had this synergy with kind of the way that I'd seen how the combat system had evolved. That's great. I'm glad to hear you say that. Those are all my questions. I'm really happy that you uh, were able to take the time out of your day to do this. I've had a great time talking to you. Usually the last thing that we like to do before we let you go is just if you want to plug your handles or anything like that or any current projects that you want people to focus on um, or just shout outs in general. We always just want to give you the opportunity to do that. Yeah, sure. I'd like to give a shout out to the find BFX artists at Santa Monica studio. They're all working really hard and they're all incredible and very talented. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at James Adkins VFX. And as far as what projects I'm working on right now, I would tell you to go and pick up God of War Ragnarok on for PlayStation consoles. I feel like if you haven't already, you probably should. It was a phenomenal game. I'm sure it was a blast to work on it. And you guys did it. You guys did an amazing job, I have to say. Thank you so much. That means a lot to hear you say that, Maeve. All right, James. Thank you so much. That's going to be our show for today. All right, that's going to wrap up this week's episode. We want to thank James again for being our guest, and we want to give a huge thank you to Mudstack. To find out more about Mudstack, head on over to mudstack.com, where you can follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and join our community on Discord. And of course, we want to thank you for listening. We'll see you next time on Clear as Mud.